At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke. Presented by Bet Rivers. The madness is living up to the hype, folks. Did your bracket survive? Did you cash some tickets? Are you barely hanging on? Well, whichever leg of that you are, I hope you had a great weekend. I certainly had a lot of fun watching these games, but we'll go over all of that and plenty more here on the Chicago City Cast. Presented by Bet Rivers, I'm Danny Burke, your host. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at DannyBurke5. You can also catch my other program, Rush Hour, which goes Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, live out of the Bet Rivers Sportsbook. And you can get a hold of that at vsin.com. That's V S I N.com. You can download the vsin app. You can tune in on Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, YouTube TV. Marquee Sports Network, and iHeartRadio, so wherever you get your podcasts available. If you couldn't tell already, yes, I am battling a little bit of a sickness, so we're playing a little bit hurt today, but we're getting through it, baby. We got to talk about all the craziness that has really been going on since, I mean, we haven't talked in a little bit because of the weird scheduling with March Madness, so again, yeah, we've got plenty to recap and look forward to with March Madness, but we also got a Bulls game tonight. We got transactions that have come with the Blackhawks, and, well, the Cubs didn't get Correa. How are you feeling about it? So we've got plenty to discuss. I do want to begin with the Bulls game here. We'll talk a little bit of Bulls, then we'll move on to what the Blackhawks did, then we'll talk some college hoops, and then we'll talk about the Bears and their recent transactions and how we're feeling about all of that. Let's get into it with a preview of tonight's 
you should be able to call it must-win game for the Bulls as they're taking on the Toronto Raptors. Yes, a, a must-win game at home against the Raptors. Who would have thought we'd be saying that as of this point? At the All-Star break, do you think we were going to say that? No. A little bit before that? Nah, probably not. But that's the reality of this Bulls team right now. Needing to get a desperate win against a Toronto Raptors team. And there's nothing against the Raptors. They're still a very solid team. The Bulls have won a couple against them. The Raptors has got, have gotten one dub. That was the most recent game where the Raptors won in overtime in Toronto, 127-120. The other games consisted of a Bulls win January 26th at home, 111-105. Then October 25th at Toronto, the first meeting, the Bulls barely won, 111-108. The big news for the Bulls, the return of Patrick Williams. You have been waiting for this moment for quite some time. It is finally here, but it's lacking the excitement that you thought it was originally going to have, right? And maybe some of that comes for or comes from the focus of March Madness going on right now. The realization that this Bulls team is not as good as you thought they could be. And knowing that, yes, Patrick Williams will be a big addition but how much is that actually going to help? He's still a unproven guy with a lot of potential. Nobody's denying that. He'll bring a lot of depth defensively. Can he contribute offensively? Can he take the load off of Vooch's shoulders? I personally think getting Lonzo Ball back is bigger than Patrick Williams. I don't know if that's a popular sentiment, if that's kind of a little bit of the unpopular side. I don't know. I mean, they're both hugely important to this Bulls team and I think everybody understands that but again because I, I feel like we we get a better sample size and knowing what we're going to get with Lonzo Ball because with Lonzo you get a facilitator you get a great defender on the perimeter and you get someone who can score and go off every now and then right typically he'll probably average a little bit over 10 or so but sometimes he'll get you 18 plus with Patrick Williams yeah, you're getting rebounding, you're getting defense, which is great. Don't get me wrong, that's a huge necessity. But on the offensive side, he has a mid-range shot, but can he get that going night after night? That's what I'm going to be waiting to see. So it's not that I'm not happy that he's coming back or not excited. I definitely am, but I guess I'm not jumping out of my seat as much as I would be because of the Bulls' struggles as of late and because I still think Lonzo getting him back is a little bit more of an important piece. But let's hope Patrick Williams can make an immediate impact in this game and for this team. Because the Bulls are on a three-game losing streak. They've lost their last eight out of ten games. Conversely, the Raptors have won their last four out of five games. They're coming off a big win against Philadelphia at Philly last night. What the hell is going on with the Sixers team? Uh, but they won. Short scoring game. I believe Fred Van Fleet was resting in that matchup. And he's questionable tonight against the Bulls. So the second leg of the back-to-back -back for the Raptors going on the road at the UC. It's a tough scheduling spot, whereas the Bulls have had two days of rest. Oddly enough, though, despite having two days of rest in these similar situations, the Bulls sporting a 3-5 and five straight up and against the spread record when having two or more days off in between games. And the Raptors, on the second leg of a back-to-back, -back, they're actually 10-5 and five straight up and against the spread. Kind of ridiculous, but hey. Weird things like that happen throughout the course of the season with specific teams. But again, these teams have matched up three times this season. Some notable performances. DeRozan has gotten 26, 29, and 28 points respectively against the Raptors. 
Zach Levine. He's gotten 22, 23, and 15. Even Vooch has kind of come alive, so to speak. 17, 17, and 30 in the most recent game. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not really infatuated with any of these Bulls props. Vooch is at 17 and a half. It could go either way. Who knows how Patrick Williams will affect that. Zach Levine, 22 and a half. Probably lean to the over. Damara, 27 and a half. Yeah, you want to take over because it's even money, but Damara's been kind of streaky here. Levine, three-point field goals made, two and a half, over under, minus 114 each way. I don't hate looking to the over. But the guy I wanted to get involved with that they don't have posted right now, because as I'm recording this, it's mid-afternoon, uh, central time, naturally. But Gary Trent Jr. has been a absolute dog against the Bulls. I mean, 18 points, 4-9 from deep the first game, 32 points, 6 of 10 the next game, then he regressed relatively to 16 points, 3 of 8 from deep. So I'm curious to see where his points prop would be. And even more importantly, I'm curious to see where his 3-point field goals prop would be. If it's at 2.5, I think we could absolutely take that over. If it's at 3 in the hook, I'm a little bit more hesitant. But it would it would have to be determined by what the price of the odds are on the over. Like if it's even money, yeah, you could entice me a little bit more so. Other outlets seem to have Van Fleet, or excuse me, not Van Fleet, uh, Gary Trent Jr. at 17.5 points, Van Fleet at 18.5, by the way. Again, he is questionable, but Gary Trent Jr., 17.5, it looks like. Let's see what his threes are listed at. 2.5, over plus 115. Are you kidding me? All right. I don't see how we wouldn't take that. But again, right now at Bet Rivers, it's not posted. But if you're getting plus money in Gary Trent Jr., two and a half threes, folks, we know how bad the Bulls are defending the three. Gary Trent's gotten four, six, and three, respectively, in each game against Chicago. OG Ananobi's been a Bulls killer, too. He's averaged 22 points per game, but he's not going to be playing in this game because he's injured. Same with Malachi Flynn. And Van Fleet is day to day, probably going to go because he rested last night. But still. Ananobi being out is huge. Flynn being out, obviously that just prevents more depth. And they're on the second leg of a back-to-back -back after defeating a tough Sixers team. Bulls in a must-win spot. Bulls having two days off. Bulls getting Patrick Williams back. This favors Chicago. Now, you saw the spread open up about four, four and a half in favor of Chicago. Bet Rivers had four. The immediate action did come on Toronto, though, because now the spread's at three in the hook. However, the juice is still on Chicago, minus 112. They're up to minus 165 on the money line are the Bulls. Raptors catching plus 135. Now looking at all, I was kind of looking at the stats first before I looked at where these lines move because I wanted to get an idea of where I thought it should be and where I figured the line would be moving. And as I was looking through these stats and how these teams would match up with each other, I'm thinking, yeah, this game probably would trend toward the under. And it did open 225, and that's what happened. It's trending toward the under. It's down to 223 at Bet Rivers. The main reason being is that the Raptors are really not that strong offensively. So we know how bad and how much of a liability the defensive side of the ball is for the Bulls. But you bring in Patrick Williams, a great defensive piece, to a defense that obviously isn't good, but it's going against a non-dominant offense, you're probably not going to get a great scoring effort out of Toronto, or the Bulls will at least play relatively well defensively. And conversely, for the Bulls, their offense has regressed these past few games. 
And the Raptors are pretty average defensively, so it could kind of counter out nicely to this being a lower scoring affair, relatively speaking, in terms of Bulls games. But looking into some of these stats, let's begin with the Raptors. Offensively, the Raptors are 17th in offensive points per 100 possessions. They're way worse in effective field goal percentage, though, ranking 27th. The Bulls defensively rank 19th in defensive points per 100 possessions, 21st in defensive effective field goal percentage. All right, now for the Raptors' shot attempts, collectively as a unit, a majority of their shots come from mid-range, 35.5% to be exact. But the Bulls actually defend mid-range fairly well. They're limiting opponents to making just 41% of their shots from mid-range, which is 7th best in the NBA. Furthermore, with this Raptors offense, they rank 27th in half-court offense, the Bulls 22nd in half-court defense. In terms of transition offense, nothing special out of Toronto. They're slightly above average, Bulls below average in transition defense, so nothing sticks out too much there. But again, this could be a game where we could get a vintage beginning of the season Bulls lockdown defense because you're getting Williams back, but also because the Raptors are not that dominant offensively. Now, how about the Bulls offensively? Well, now they're ranking ninth in offensive points per 100 possessions. They're also sixth in effective field goal percentage. Defensively, the Raptors, 12th in points per possession, 19th in defensive effective field goal percentage. Advantage goes to the Bulls there. Now, you know the Bulls, over 30% of their shots come from mid-range, which is the second highest amount in the NBA. Toronto, limiting opponents to shooting, or to making, rather, 42% from mid-range, but that's middle of the pack, ranks 15th. Now, we know the Bulls are solid in half-court offense. They rank 7th. Raptors, 12th defensively, however. Bulls, 2nd in transition offense. Raptors, 14th in transition defense. So, they're pretty even for a majority of these stats, there's not one stat that stands out incredibly more than another. So where can you find the advantage here? Like we stated earlier, the Bulls in a must-win spot on this three-game losing streak. The Bulls at home where they play better. The Bulls have defeated the Raptors twice. I think they are a better team than the Raptors, even though the Raptors have been hotter as of late. The Bulls having two days off. The Raptors on the second leg of a back-to-back, -back, both games on the road. And the Bulls getting a spark and momentum at home from Patrick Williams. The Bulls should win this game, and I believe they do. Minus 160 was the best number I was able to get on the money line. Shorter spread at three in the hook. You know me, gonna lay the higher price on the money line. Bulls is a short home favorite. Let's get back to cashing on that. Let's take advantage of it like we've done so many times throughout the course of the season. And let's see the Bulls actually play like the team they're supposed to be playing like. And we know they're capable of. This is a very winnable game. Very favorable spot. Patrick Williams being back is huge. Let's hope he comes through, baby. And let's hope the Bulls can put together a nice game. Even if Van Fleet is playing, which I'm going in with the assumption he is. And you know what? If you do have some patience, honestly, once that becomes an, an official announcement, if it hasn't already, I'm sure this momentum may still even creep toward the Raptors as we get closer to tip-off. So, and this has happened plenty of times, so you'll probably get a better number on the Bulls' money line if you wait a little bit. I'm just going to take it now. 
for the case of me putting my bets in at vsin.com along with everybody else. I try to get them in as soon as possible. And for having it for the purposes of this show, I'm going to give you an official play, and that's going to be the Bulls' money line. But I think you probably do end up getting a better number on the Bulls if you want to wait and you don't feel comfortable laying over minus 160. But if you don't have patience or you just want to jump in now, regardless, I think the Bulls get the job done. Could not imagine them losing four in a row in this type of setting. And if they do, man, then they're completely off the rails. We know they have problems right now, but if that happens... All hell is breaking loose. And again, it's not like the Raptors aren't a respectable team, but they're banged up. They're on the second leg of a back-to-back. You have them at home where you play exceptionally better. So the expectations are high. You better come through. But that's what we're rolling with. Bulls on the money line. And if we do get Gary Trent Jr. available at Bet Rivers, two and a half threes, the overs plus money, I might add that as a best bet come rush hour. So make sure you tune in. But even if you don't, Keep an eye on that one. Could be a viable prop. All right, let's transition to the other team in town, being the Chicago Blackhawks and what they've done recently. We know they traded Hagel. We uh, we we talked about that a little bit last week and uh, the return they got. So the Blackhawks obviously in rebuilding mode, and that's what you need to see. That's good that they're going in that direction. You don't want them to be stuck in purgatory not making moves. But the next guy... To move on, Mark andre Fleury. You figured that he was going to be a guy that was going to move on, but then he said how he wanted to stay in Chicago, and they really uh, waited kind of to the last minute. But the Blackhawks trading Mark andre Fleury to the Minnesota Wild for a conditional first-round draft pick. So the conditional pick is a 2022 pick, and I guess it's a conditional second-round pick that can become a first. I don't understand necessarily the uh, stipulations beyond that, but that's what it's looking like. Again, you felt bad for Marc-Andre Fleury. You had hype coming into the season, all the off-ice issues, all the struggles on the ice, the organization being boneheads. So many bad things are happening. You're like, man, poor Marc-Andre Fleury, just the nicest guy, one of the best talents in hockey. You don't want to see him go out like this. So hopefully he can get on a competing team. I know you probably couldn't care less about the Wild, but you got to root for the guy. They used him a lot in Chicago. And he played very solid in comparison to what the rest of the team was putting out there. But I hope he gets success. It was great to have him as part of the organization. was just disappointing to see the lack of effort the rest of the team put around him. But that's the latest news with the Blackhawks. So, again, you got to trust his front office, so to speak. Hope they're making the right moves. They got a lot in return for Hagel last week, so that was good. But we'll see what they can do with it. All right, coming up next, we'll talk a little bit more about transactions throughout Chicago teams. As the Bears signed some more players, what can we expect out of them? Did you like what they did? Were you expecting more? And also, we've got early college basketball Sweet 16 action and a recap from the first weekend and the first round. So stick around. Plenty more coming your way here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. No football? No problem. Because Bet Rivers Sportsbook serves up tennis, soccer, hockey, college, 
pro basketball, and much more. So don't miss out on Bet Rivers' many daily specials or try your hand at live player props or same game parlays. No matter what you bet on, you can count on your withdrawal approval happening fast with more than 80% of withdrawals approved instantly at Bet Rivers. So get started with life after football with the Bet Rivers app. Okay, back at it here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. Time to talk a little bit more about March Madness and some Bears and their transactions that have occurred recently. I do want to begin with March Madness because I can't contain the excitement anymore. Last night's game, Arizona TCU, was one of the best college basketball games I personally have witnessed in my lifetime. Now, granted, I don't watch college basketball during the regular season that much, so my sample size not as big as some of you diehards out there. But even through the tournament, I'm watching pretty much every game, and that game was insanity. Now, I want to clear the air a little bit first, because that call that, I guess, wasn't called is very controversial, naturally, for Arizona and TCU, where the guy had the ball at half court and he fought and he fell over. Now, first things first. A whistle should have been blown regardless, right? It should have been either a foul or it should have been over and back. And then the clock kind of stopped for a second. And then the guy doesn't lay it in. He he dunks it. And then you miss the buzzer beater. There was just so much lunacy going on in such a short span. Not even in that just moment, but that whole game. But that was incredible. And, and let me get back to that foul call first. You can't have it both ways. And I was bitching about these refs probably more than the next guy out there on Twitter, especially when it was that North Carolina-Baylor game. Because I had North Carolina winning in a majority of my brackets. Not to toot my own horn, I had North Carolina winning. And then I also had Iowa State and Miami meeting in the Sweet 16 in a decent amount of them with Miami advancing. So, hey, you know, got to pat my back a little bit. For someone who doesn't watch that much college basketball, that's probably why I made those bets. But uh, in all seriousness... That's why I was freaking out about that North Carolina game. First of all, I know now I'm going on this soliloquy about this game. That second half officiating was arguably the worst I've actually ever seen. That game overall was arguably the worst basketball I've ever seen. Not exaggerating. And Davis, the head coach of North Carolina, is smiling as they're blowing this 20-something point lead and they're running the same damn fast break every single time. That was the most pathetic coaching display I have ever seen. The exact same inbounds every single time. And they were getting trapped. They had to throw the ball up of a Baylor guy's legs every other time. They turned the ball over, it seemed, every other time. Dude, do something different. Do you not practice this at all? It is clear you don't. And you're chuckling there in the sidelines like, man, I can't believe. Do something about it. Like, what were you doing? That that game was driving me insane. I mean, I was ripping my hair out of my head from how bad the officiating was. But you can only blame so much on the officiating when the coaching was just as bad. Have the guy on the side flare up, catch it, pass it right back to the inbounds guy because the guy who's guarding the inbounds passer... He's going to get lost right after you pass it in. So you give it directly back to the inbounds guy. Someone flashes to the middle. You pass it to him. Then everybody sprints up and you attack on the fast break. As simple as that. But no, they kept doing two guys in the middle and trying to dance around and get it open. They get trapped and hope someone gets open. It was incredibly 
infuriating to see how poor a coaching Davis had for North Carolina. And people in the first half were like, oh my gosh, gave credit where credit's due. And you know what? They did do very well, but that was the worst second half coaching I have ever seen with lack of adjustments. It still just blows my mind how they did not alter anything on their press break. Like, if I'm UCLA, I am absolutely pressing the hell out of this team because they don't know what they're doing. But, again, they still held on somehow in overtime. I thought it was good as gone that the underdog after that BS was going to lose. But they held on. So, a testament to the resilience of that UNC team. So, they did come through. I was happy for my bracket that that occurred. Um, Didn't really trust this Baylor team. Teams that have won the championships have struggled, and also they were dealing with injuries. So didn't really like this Baylor team, and we knew how sporadic and dominant offensively UNC could be, but then you saw the opposite of that because of their volatility in the second half. But they held on. But this Arizona-TCU game. Now, again, what I, I ended up live betting Arizona. Sunday was a magnificent in-game betting day. I was tweeting about it a little bit. I was waiting for Duke to get down against Michigan State. They got down five with like two, three minutes to go, and they were giving me plus 220 on Duke. I said, thank you very much. Duke's been a way better team. Yes, the momentum is in favor of Michigan State right now, but it's a game of runs. Every college basketball game in March Madness is a game of runs. But if you have a team you like pre-flop, and for me, before the game started, I liked Duke, but I didn't want to lay six with them on the spread. Then I was going to wait for Michigan State to make it closer, get up late in the game, especially with the way Duke had been playing with their bigger bodies and they could get to the rim at will, that I would still take advantage of that. And that's exactly what happened. That's the beauty of in-game. I'm telling you guys, like 95% of these March Madness games, if the spread is a little bit too uncomfortable for you, but you like a team, but you don't want to feel or you don't feel so comfortable laying that because of the nonsense that occurs at the end of games with free throws, missed shots, all that crap. Wait for an in-game number. Over 95% of the time, you're going to get it. Arizona, same thing. They were plus money when they were down. Took them multiple times. Uh, who else did I do? I did Texas Tech, right? Texas Tech against Notre Dame did the same thing with Tech. They were like plus 165. And they came through. Growing up a Notre Dame fan, I knew they'd inevitably choke. And that's what they did. It was a beautiful thing yesterday. And it has been throughout the tournament. Villanova did that with Ohio State a little bit. Actually, I took them pre-flop. But you definitely could have got a better number with Villanova. So if you just have patience, watch the games, you will get a better number. Now, if you're looking to bet a big underdog like, say, Miami against Auburn, taking them plus seven or the money line pre-flop, yes, that's a different story. But my case is these favorites that you may not feel so comfortable laying the spread with. Just wait. You will get a better number. Okay. Now that I've gotten those rants out of the way, the foul call at half court. You can't have it both ways. Everybody bitching about the foul calls and saying, oh, you can't let the refs dictate these games. Well, they didn't right there, right? They didn't make a controversial foul call at the end that would have put TCU on the foul line. No one wanted to make that call to determine the end of that game. Now, in real time, did it look like he got bumped? Yeah, sure. In any other moment in the game, they'd probably call it. But the guy had his hands up falling backwards, and the dude dribbling on TCU definitely sold it a little bit. But it should have been a foul call, or it should have been over and back, because it had to have been one or the other. And then, of course, the clock kind of stopped, and it resumed. And I don't know who took that shot, whether it was uh, 
Matherin if he took it or someone else, but they dunked it instead of laying it in. You knew the time was winding down. Why didn't you throw it up there? It didn't end up mattering because they went in overtime, but still, that was just mind-boggling along with many other things. But again, the foul, I think the guy on TCU sold it a little bit. He flailed. And it was a good no call at the end of the day because you'd rather have the kids determine the outcome as opposed to the Zebras, which everybody's complaining about. But once it doesn't go their way because of that game, then everybody all of a sudden changes their opinion on things. And yes, there was a little bit of contact. But if you were on the other side, you would be thanking everything and all things holy that they didn't make that call. And I was I was obviously one of those people, but truthfully, from an unbiased perspective, yes, there should have been a whistle regardless one way or the other, but you can't have it both ways saying you want the refs to make that call to determine the game then complain about every other game because the refs called so many fouls. So at the end of the day, I am glad he let the kids determine it instead of that foul call. So it was a good no call, I think. He flailed a little bit. Let's be honest. Yes, they bumped bodies, but that happens on every other possession too. It was just more highlighted because it was the end of the game. So yes, he flailed a little bit for sure. But the clock should have stopped. It didn't matter really because if then the clock would have stopped for over and back, okay, then Arizona gets another chance because they didn't end up getting the game winner, right? So uh, at the end of the day, it was a good no call. But a hell of an overtime. And I'm telling you, I mean... Mathurin, or Matherin, that dude was incredible. Arguably the best performances tournament, definitely, I think, was. And in college basketball, I've seen in quite some time, 30 points, 8 of 19 from the floor. Coloco was getting exposed by the other big man by TCU a lot, but he still went 12 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 7 from the free throw line, 12 rebounds, and 28 points. And the huge putback dunk at the end to solidify it in overtime. That was an electric atmosphere. A crazy game and the definition of March Madness. I loved every second of it. But now Arizona gets to take on Houston. How are we feeling about this game? Arizona opened up about a one-point favorite. You've seen a little bit of momentum go to AZ here. They're now up to a two-point favorite at Bet Rivers, minus 132 on the money line. Cougars plus 112. Now the Cougars are a team that is missing top guys going into this tournament, right? I had them beating Illinois in a majority of my brackets. Illinois is obviously a team that was overhyped, and no one really trusted them, and you saw how they barely got past Chattanooga. No chance I was trusting them against UAB. I think UAB is another team I live bet also. Or excuse me, Houston was another team I live bet also when Illinois came on a little comeback. You're like, no, this team can't maintain this. They're poorly coached. Yes, Brad Underwood overrated heading into this tournament. Had no way to scheme with uh, Kofi. Or how to go against other... Like, it was just bad. Terrible. And that's why a lot of people liked Houston and Houston came through. But this Arizona team ain't Illinois. They can kill you from multiple different facets. To get here, Arizona had to beat Wright State and TCU in overtime. Houston, they got by UAB, not that great of a team, and a terribly coached Illinois team. So I think Houston will be outmatched by Arizona. I would lean toward Arizona. Haven't done anything yet. But my initial thought is to go with Arizona. Now, uh, really quick, Big Ten-wise, Michigan and Purdue, the only remaining Big Ten teams. Is that who you thought would remain? Purdue, I thought, yes. And, well, Michigan, I didn't think they'd be here by this point. But how about Purdue getting a favorable draw with St. Peter's? My goodness. You better come through, Boilermakers. Ivy was cold-blooded at the end of their game. That dude is legit. Ice in his veins. 
awesome performance to see it out of him. I kind of was going in and out of the game, but why wasn't Edie playing at the end? Was he just a liability out there? It's so frustrating seeing a 7'4 guy get blocked by guys like a foot less than him. Like, just be tough. Just put your hands up. Stop bringing the ball down low. It's ridiculous. Um, but Purdue gets a favorable draw. I have Purdue in the final four and a couple brackets. Guys, I have like eight brackets, so when I reference that, it's because I'm all over the place. But I got Purdue in the final four, uh, beating UCLA in the Elite Eight and a couple of them. Purdue's been legit all season. Yes, they've had some tough losses, but every team goes through that in a tough conference. But they, their path gets very favorable now. Not touching anything with that spread. Don't like laying high ones. Can't trust St. Peter's this late in the game. Uh, but good looks for Purdue. Don't trust Michigan. Still haven't trusted them all game. They killed me. I really needed Tennessee. That one hurt me. Freaking Jawan Howard and company still winning somehow. Give me a break. Dickinson, the dude's incredible. My goodness. Hopefully Villanova can stop him. I got Villanova in probably one final four in a bracket. But very disciplined team. Good three-point shooting team. See, that this is a situation for an in-game. Like, I think Villanova is the better team. Michigan's been playing great, though. So I would not lay the five. I would wait for the in-game on Thursday night and then go with Nova because I do like him before. Don't want to lay the five. I'll wait for a better number. Perfect example. Uh, maybe another team you could do that with. UNC and UCLA. So the movement originally has been going toward the Tar Heels, three and a half is where it opened in favor of UCLA. Now the spread's at two. Bruins minus 130, North Carolina plus 110, total up to 142 and a half. Will UCLA's solid defense be able to limit the dominance of the Tar Heels scoring? That's the biggest question here. UNC scored 95 versus Marquette, 93 versus Baylor in overtime. UCLA limited Akron to 53 points. The Bruins won that game 57 to 53. And then they beat St. Mary's 72 to 56. So they're limiting opponents to under 60 points per game, whereas UNC is scoring over 90 points per game. Which one is going to prosper through? I do think UCLA is a rightful favorite, but they're kind of a scary team sometimes. And I get, so is UNC. Like, very volatile are the Tar Heels. But that's why I picked them to be Baylor, because I knew that their offense could beat almost anybody. But at this late in the game, after seeing what was on display in that second half, I think UCLA is the better coach team. And I would lean toward the Bruins. But I don't love it going against the market and against a team that can be lethal. <laughs> that one's going to be a blast to watch. But I don't know if I'm going to bet it pre-flop. The game I am going to bet pre-flop and already have, let's take it to Iowa State and Miami. Again, got to toot my own horn a little bit, had this matchup going on, and I had Miami advancing. I didn't trust Wisconsin. How could you? I had personal vendettas against them, and I just didn't trust them. I don't think they're that good of a team. Early exit, and that's what happened. Iowa State had the makings for Cinderella, potentially. Great big man. Made a lot of shots against Wisconsin. In Milwaukee, by the way. Embarrassing Badgers. Classic. Way to represent the Big Ten. And Iowa State comes through. And with Miami, the reason I like Miami is Auburn I really didn't think was as good as a two seed. Just not that good. And Miami had the shooting spurts to compete and defeat anybody which they have. They barely held on against USC, but they did. And then you dismantle Auburn 79-61. ISU beat LSU 59-54, then Wisconsin 54-49. This 
like I predicted in the bracket, I, this is just a spot where I think Iowa State's fortunes come to an end. Miami's too explosive, too energetic, too quick, and they can shoot from anywhere. Iowa State opened as a point favorite, but now it's shifted to the Hurricanes minus 2.5 and, and minus 148 at Bet Rivers. Totals at 133.5, up from the opener of 131. The money line's been shifted heavily. Like, when you're getting 2, 2.5, you usually get a cheaper price than 148. But I laid minus 140, got minus a buck 40. Might come back down, but make sure you shop a little bit. So I think the Hurricanes do win. Again, short spread. I'll lay more on the money line, but I played the Hurricanes as my early college basketball bet, minus 140. Uh, looking ahead to Friday's matchup at 9 p.m. Central Time, I'm going with the Hurricanes over the Cyclones. Other games that interested me, I told you about live betting Villanova versus Michigan. Texas Tech versus Duke. I think Texas Tech, I, I think I have them beating Duke in a majority of my brackets, and they're a one-point favorite here. I kind of like Duke here. And I get Duke is untrustworthy, but man, I like, again, I don't watch a lot of these teams during the season, but I've been watching every second of like every game during this tournament and seeing the talent that Duke has and knowing the injuries that Texas Tech has had, I kind of like Duke a little bit. And maybe you'll get the movement, keep going to the Red Raiders and we'll get a better number with the Blue uh, Devils, but I always almost say Blue Demons because of DePaul, but with the Blue Devils, you might get a better number. We'll see. But I do kind of like Duke in that game. Plenty of time to think about it, though. All right. But college basketball, lone bet I got right now, the Hurricanes over the Cyclones. Other ones are just leans as of now. We'll wait in-game, we'll wait for better numbers, all that good stuff. Plenty of time to talk about it here on the CityCast and Rush Hour as we lead up to it. Let's talk football. What have the Bears done lately? All right. Well, receiver-wise, I got... Equinemius, St. Brown to a one-year contract. Does that move the needle? No. But can he do great things? Yeah, from time to time. Still just another added weapon. Not a top-tier guy like you hoped for. But you did get Byron Pringle. We talked about him. One-year contract. Coming from the Chiefs. A great speedy guy that you need in this day and age in the NFL. He was a guy on their list, and I kept talking about it. Him or McCole Hardman are the type of guys you need to win. They're great assets to the Chiefs after having Kelsey and Tyree kill. You got to contain them. But then you have these great speedsters and those two guys being Pringle and Hardman that can kill you. And that's what he did. And that's what he can do with the Bears. So I love the Pringle acquisition. St. Brown doesn't move the needle too much. You wish they got Juju, but he goes to the Chiefs on a one-year contract. Chiefs getting even more loaded. But I like the Pringle acquisition. Now at this point... You're just hoping they draft some receivers in the second round, I guess. They're going with Mooney as their one guy. And that's fine. I love Mooney. I believe in him. A lot of people don't. But for the time being, I'm fine with that if they draft a top receiver. So, Ogunjobi fails the physical. How often does that happen? Seems very rare. But then they go out instead and get Justin Jones to a two-year contract. Eberflus convinced him to sign with the Bears instead of the Colts. With the Chargers, had 37 total tackles, 19 solo, 3 sacks, and 2 fumble recoveries. Will be great within the defensive interior. Are you a little disappointed about Ogunjobi? Sure, and rightfully so. But stop giving Ryan Poles crap for this. They did their due diligence. He didn't fail the physical. It's okay to say, no, we're not going to take him on. You don't want to have a Fernell McPhee situation. That's what everybody keeps alluding to, and rightfully so. So it's okay. It's okay. 
I'm not going to be too worried about it. If it was a big-name offensive guy that happened, yeah, that would hurt my feelings probably, and I'd be disappointed. Defensively, they'll survive. Justin Jones will be sufficient. They re-signed DeAndre Houston Carson to a one-year contract. He's been fairly solid for the Bears. They also signed uh, defensive lineman al Quadin Muhammad to a two-year contract with the Colts. Had 48 total tackles, 32 solo, six sacks, one forced fumble. Big signing there. Also great to the defensive interior. Love to see it all around. I get it. You're disappointed. No offensive lineman aside from uh, the Packers guy coming through. I forget his name. Was it Lucas? Uh, oh, you got to forgive me. There's been so many new names we've had to listen uh, get. But you get my point. Um, they got the center for from Chicago. Excuse me. Now I'm just trying. Now I'm getting flustered. They got Lucas Patrick from Green Bay to Chicago to play center, it looks like. So he should be solid. Familiarity with Getze. Um, But yeah, you were hoping they'd get a receiver. Hasn't been the case. Again, assuming they do that in the draft, if it's a good name, maybe like Pickens, who everybody seems to want, that'll be fine with me. But I'm not too disappointed. Not overly excited with what the Bears have done, but I believe that Poles knows what he's doing. So I got faith. And then with the with the Cubs, I mean, transactions-wise, well, obviously you got Suzuki, but you were hoping he could get Correa. Ah, it didn't happen. Did you really think it was going to happen, though, after all the indications the front office has given you? Yeah, the hope was there, but the actual realistic expectations, not so much. Kind of perplexing to see the Twins investing so much in one player when you kind of need a total rebuild, such as the Rockies doing that with Chris Bryant. I guess these teams are just trying to sell tickets instead of actually building a sound team. But hey, uh, you got Andrelton. I, I don't know if he's going to move the needle too much offensively, but defensively, gold glove winner in the past. So he'll be good up the middle, but and he's still got Madrigal. And he's still got some other pieces, obviously. Ah, but, man, I don't know. The Cubs, they needed to do more. They get smiley, right? It's a little bit uh, a little bit over the hill. I'm not, I'm not too infatuated with Drew Smiley. But hopefully he can have some good outings for the Cubs. And the expectations for Chicago aren't high. But if you're committing to a non-rebuild, then you got to go get those top players like Correa, which they couldn't do. So now they're kind of stuck in this awkward maybe rebuild. We know we're not going to have a great season type of effort. Unless they're a surprising team like the Giants, but they have nowhere as near as talented starting pitching roster like the Giants did. So don't get your expectations too high, folks. The only thing I'm excited about is hopefully cheaper tickets to Wrigley. If you keep your expectations low, you can't get hurt as often by the lovable losers. But we'll keep an eye on that, see what happens as we get closer to opening day. At least we got a season, folks. Let's be grateful and thankful for that but all right that's gonna wrap it up for another edition of the city cast we're taking the bulls on the money line we're taking the hurricanes as our early college basketball bet and i got a couple of hockey plays tonight but be sure you check out rush hour 5 to 6 p.m central time to get a hold of that and some other betting angles all across the sports landscape until tomorrow folks best of luck with whatever you're betting on enjoy the slate of games and we'll catch up again tomorrow take care